When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season eight, episode six. It's the series finale. Uh, Aaron, we've seen it a couple times now. What do you think? Uh, you know, I, it really doesn't feel real uh, to me that Game of Thrones is over. And I think part of the unreality is just um, how successful the show subverted my expectations. Um not necessarily in a good way. Like there, had, man, I'd spent so much time, especially in these last two years, thinking about how this thing was going to go down and what kind of form it was going to take and like different ways it could go. Um, and you know, I had various stages, kind of like fear and uncertainty and dread about like, oh boy, you know, this last season, kind of shaky in parts, but I really, you know, I had I had bedrock faith in the 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 core creative team. You know, with a year and a half, being able to come up with something that, if nothing else, would be a crowd-pleasing spectacle. And what it seems that they've delivered is, um, if you want to take them at their proposition, like subversive kind of anti-wish fulfillment um, that hmm. continue to subvert expectations to the very end. Um, and you can argue about how successful they were at that. I think that even telling that story, they weren't very successful. Um, so it's been a, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's bittersweet in that like, gosh, hats off to almost everyone involved in this project that did just an amazing job till the bitter end at, and, and at great personal sacrifice to themselves and time and, um, and, uh, and passion and attention to detail. Um, but I, I honestly think that they just, there was a dozen moments in this last season where you can clearly p point evidence to where Dan and Dave got to a sticky point in the plot and just said, fuck it. We're just going to go. We don't really like it's, this is what we want to do. And we're not going to really rack our brains thinking about how we could do it better or how this would actually impact a real world of politics. Like, like. They, they gave us this, like, in-our-bones geopolitical wisdom and knowledge about the stupid fake place, and then I feel like this final episode is just a glorious uh, Blues Brothers-style uh, car wreck involving all these different plot, plot lines kind of crashing over the finish line. Uh, didn't find it particularly moving. What about you, Jim? Yeah, so I'm still struggling to figure out how I feel about this episode and the end of Game of Thrones because... And I think it's for the reasons you just stated. You know, it is a bit of a mess. Um, the The expectations that I had were certainly subverted by the end of this. And I don't know where it leaves me because they, they left me with a lot of character endings that I think could be satisfying uh, if they were maybe told a little bit better. Um, I get some character endings that I think are satisfying, others that certainly aren't. 
and I don't know how to reconcile all those things. Uh, so I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. I think the one thing that this series has proven to me beyond the shadow of a doubt is how important writing is in a production. Yeah. Because like you said, everybody in this entire crew, the entire production team, top to bottom, nailed it with the exception of maybe the writing. Right. Um, and I think even even the writing only kind of came tumbling down toward the end. So like... Yeah. If you don't spend the time to get, take note, Walking Dead's of the world and and other shows that have, you know, not maybe paid their writers, not maybe taken the time that they needed to get the story right and just craft a a good basis for everything else that's going to be put into it, the effects and the acting and just everything that has to come together. This, you've got to nail those fundamental parts. And if you don't do that, everything else is a waste because... I don't come away from this series going, man, it was such a spectacle and everybody did such a great job on the effects team and the acting was perfect. I come away from this with a semi-sour taste in my mouth going, man, that could have been better. Mm -hmm. And that all comes down to the writing. Yeah. And like I said, I I wonder, it feels like the, the, the Dan and Dave tried to do something that was in the spirit of what it does seem like George Martin intended, like that Mm -hmm. they were trying to, I think an easier way for them to go and maybe an arguably more successfully way to go is just to go for a real crowd pleaser. Like, you know, you, 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 and crowd pleasing for game of Thrones doesn't mean you give people sappy saccharine endings, but stuff that's a little bit more like cherry pick some of the best, uh, fan theories, take this massive budget and this costuming, this fantastic music score and the crazy good effects team. And just the bedrock talent that is your cast and your deep stable of, of talented directors, and just ride that to something that, like, you know, what George is doing is fucking complicated, and he can't fucking even get the season seven out in eight years, so fuck it. We're going to do something a little bit more conventional, a little bit more Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are fans of this season. I don't know about a lot, but, like, as you said two weeks ago, the reviews, the early reviews are in, and they are very mixed, and the people that don't yeah. like it really don't like it, and I think even the people that like it are more of a qualified, well, you know, it does, it's, it's, it was definitely foreshadowed, and this is definitely a thing that Danny could do, and this is stuff that if, and uh, yeah, no, I'm, I, like I said, I, I don't want to get in that argument, because mm-hmm. I don't think it's an argument I would win. Thematically, lots of good things you could talk about, but the, the, when you're when you're kind of picking a fight with your audience, which is what they're doing in this last season of Game of Thrones, I think you you got at least expect some kind of resistance. Um, and they handled it about they handled that about as badly as uh, Danny did Marine. <laughs> you know, yeah. they got themselves in a real quagmire and then fucked off halfway through, seemingly. And and um, but on the other hand, that's like it's so weird because. They chose to have sole writing and directing credits for this last episode, which I felt like was a huge act of hubris because that's essentially saying, hey, this is our we are putting our signatures on this like it or hate it. Give it all to us. And Mm -hmm. I kind of think that, boy, there's been a lot of like, um, you know, people try to figure out, you know, what's gone wrong. But it does seem like if you want to eliminate like Martin and HBO executives, that almost everything that's wrong with the last two seasons does lie with Dan and Dave. And they're fundamentally misunderstanding what they're trying to do, what the audience wanted, what the audience was thinking they were doing, why they were watching it. Um, 
Westeros political history. I, I, I don't know what all their defenders did, but it's it's really weird because it, it does feel like we got some kind of like uh, like like I, I feel like it's a a joke that I'm waiting for someone to come out and be like, ha ha, that's you know that's the April Fool's plot line. Here's the real deal, or there'll be a director's edition that'll fix this because I kind of think that's possible. Yeah, I, maybe. I kind of think with you know and and. and it's also it's it's impossible to separate my disappointment from this season with the knowledge that they were offered mm-hmm. more budget and more time to have more story if they wanted it and they're just like nah fuck it. I that's yeah, I, I'm just left with a complicated uh, stew of feelings here because a you know it's a show that I loved for a decade and now it's going away. Yeah. That's uh, that's part of this bittersweet thing. Uh, right. It also, I think, kind of lands for a few characters. So, mm-hmm. but uh, but I think even characters where it could land, I'm not certain how I feel about it because I don't know how the characters feel about it. And I, I wish I, I wish the storytelling were a little more coherent at the end, mm-hmm. uh, so that I would truly be still in these characters' heads, understanding how they're feeling about any given action uh and that would inform uh, i think a lot more of my opinion on the ending of this series but mm-hmm. i just i'm not there anymore yeah and i if i if i'm going to give credit for the double d's i will say that i will give them high marks kind of on courage because i think it would have been e- they've been easier to play safe and go for like a c plus hmm. and i think they were swinging for like a real thematic a plus like oh damn wow fucking martin i see what he's playing at now and they ended up in like D minus territory for me, and unfortunately, and you know, but but you don't get there unless you're swinging for the fences. Like if you play it safe sure. and you're just hitting, you know, I don't fucking know enough baseball to extend this analogy. You're you're just content with your bunts and your ground rule doubles. Yeah, sure. That's mm-hmm. yeah. You take your two foul balls and your walk, and you take your plate and you eat off of it like a man does, and. I just feel like so I I guess what they were trying to do like I said something that was felt very very pure or very tapped into the spirit of what uh George Martin's trying to do but it feels like I don't know like a 6-year-old copying uh you know, a much more successful artist um and and having poor results so yeah uh, something that the artist himself hasn't been able to quite finish what he what he's what he's bitten off so ah mm-hmm. uh, i don't know i i do feel like um it does it doesn't feel like any kind of jubilation going on in fandom no i don't think so even if even if fans are excited about the ending of this i think the discourse has been so divisive that mm-hmm. it's i think it's hard for anybody to go onto like reddit or a, yeah. a game of thrones forum of any kind yeah. and stay extremely excited because right. the, the moment you open up any page and somebody says, Oh, they fucked this all up. You're, I mean, it, it's always more fun to rejoice with fans who appreciate something as much as you do or everyone shit on it. The fact that when you get a true sure, mixed sure. reaction or like a very sizable minority, um, then, you know, ever there is that kind of like clashing of opinion. Yeah. And that, that sucks. And it that brings sucks. everything down. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of time to talk about the show, uh, how we feel about overall, its legacy, how this might impact future projects. Uh, Martin updated his blog uh, with some thoughts about (laughs) things. Um, And I think those things are all belong 
in the, in more of the spoiler section, but but more over next week's wrap up podcast. Yeah, for sure. Where we're not going to have to, we're not going to have an hour and a half of plot to chew through. We're not going to have more grievances to air. We're not going to have more faint praise to, to damn with. It's going to be just time for us to talk about what we, how we feel, how we felt about our predictions, um, how those might even like you know I, I'm open to analyzing my own self and. I know that I have fucked up my enjoyment of certain shows before by getting uh, obsessive into it. And I don't think I've ever obsessively gotten to anything like I've gotten into Game of Thrones. So, like, mm-hmm. part of the fault might lie with me. Um, and we'll talk about all that next week on the wrap-up. I think now it's appropriate for us to talk about the fucking Iron Throne. Hey, before we get into the episode, uh, since I know this will probably be the last podcast that uh, a lot of you stick around for, I just want to let you know that we do not just shut down after Game of Thrones is over. We've got tons of great stuff. In fact, you might want to go ahead and subscribe to this here feed that you're listening to right now, this here podcast, if you haven't already, because we're about to beat this feed of ours, uh, our, our, our Game of Thrones swords into prequel plowshares because we're going to transform this feed into something that's going to be covering the upcoming prequels. Uh, we're aiming to have relevant Game of Thrones slash prequel coverages all throughout the lead up to the prequels release. I know that for a fact I'll be covering uh, George Martin's Game of Thrones uh, volume two. If he ever decides to release Winds of Winter, uh, some other prequel stuff, some other Game of Thrones type content will be happening here in this feed. So make sure you stay subscribed to it. Uh, we're also covering just a lot of great shows in t- uh, 2019. The Amazon, the Amazon, the Amazon original series, The Expanse, which is quite literally Game of Thrones in space. Oh yeah, we've really liked the first three uh, seasons. Uh, we're excited for that to continue. We're also very excited for Damien Lindelof's uh, Watchmen series. It's going to be out on HBO, and we'll be covering day one. Stranger Things season three is coming back later this summer. Uh, the Expanse and Stranger Things are existing feeds. You can essentially find them in your podcast of choice by searching for The Expanse or Game uh, or Stranger Things, uh, uh, Bald Move. Uh, and stay tuned for where you can find The Watchman and his Dark Materials podcast. And finally, if you've enjoyed our super serious film fest fantasy that's raged all season of Game of Thrones long, and incidentally concluding this week with a coverage of the fabulous 1988 Willow, please subscribe to our Bald Movies feed. Not only do you get uh, fun things like our Super Serious Film Fest, but just in the past month we've covered Avengers, John Wick, and this week we'll be covering Aladdin. We have all uh, the reviews that everyone likes and wants to talk about on the Bald Movies feed, which you can find by searching for Bald Movies anywhere. And if you do nothing else, please follow us on your social media of choice, at or slash Bald Move, as the social media may be, because uh, that's the best place you can find uh, all of our future coverage and stay up to breast at what Bald Move is doing. Thank you, everyone, has gone on this wild and crazy journey with us. Uh, we're sad to see it end, but we're happy to continue to move on to other things, and we hope that you join us on those journeys as well. Uh, one final note, uh, we actually counted up everything, and we have a very limited amount of the house snow pins. I know a lot of people expressed uh, disappointment of, of not making the cutoff, so there is a last, last, last chance uh, to get the, ha- the, uh, the house snow pin designs on pin-y.com uh the link to for those is in our show notes as well as if you want to support brand the broken you got this the brand stairwood pin available there as well mm. uh and then of course uh, gods of thrones you can go to gods of thrones.com see a preview chapter some 30 pages of the first volume of gods of thrones 
Uh, those are volume one and two are 25% off right now. Go to godsofthrones.com for your links to purchase uh, ebook or paperback versions. And again, see a preview uh, of the book free at godsofthrones.com. All right, we start off with, uh, well, let's talk about the intro real quick. Yeah. Uh, King's Landing's all fucked up, which is nice. It, it was nice to see this Westeros map more interactive this year. Yeah, but, it was. Uh, as as the war for the Long Night ravaged the north, and we see uh, you know, the war for King's Landing ravaged the south, and it's, it's nice to see all that. Uh, uh, it was cool to see the, the, the sigil struggle to go over the Iron Throne, and it's just busted, and there's no lion, there's no stag. It's just empty now. But, but you have to frame every single second of that intro in how many ghost scenes did we miss out on? <laughs> yes, you're right. To, to get the effect. Right. You know? Was least... it three ghosts? I think it was about three ghosts worth of... Uh, yeah. Ghost scenes worth of effects in that yeah, intro. 37 seconds worth of, of digital direwolf oh, yeah. uh, it, it animated that broken-ass Lannister <laughs> sigil. Right. Uh, so we we really start the episode with Tyrion, John, and Davos walking through the gates of King's Landing in shock as they take in the damage that Danny's done to both the city and its people. And Tyrion makes his way alone to the Red Keep. And this is beautiful. This like, all looks great. Yeah, this, you know, coming in from a, a, a this just really... Is this desolation? Um, what what Danny has wrought? I think even more effectively than the final moments of last episode. This the silence and mm-hmm. just how too might the one guy um, walking slowly out of it to so horribly burnt. I feel like you know this is playing at the same time as Chernobyl is the documentary, and there's a lot of the same visual imagery and motifs. And uh, I th- I found it very effective. Yeah, uh, I like all these skeletons. We had a couple of. Um set pieces that we saw last episode, which I thought was a nice touch. I'm sure they filmed, you know, all of this on the same locations and mm-hmm. whatnot uh, and had all the same effects work. But it's nice to see sort of Tyrion walking past the same bell that like Arya walks by at some point and you kind of get a sense of the geography of King's Landing a little bit better. Right. And it's also very thematic because you've got these bells that were the hope for peace, mm-hmm. full resolution, and now they're laying shattered on the ground. I mean, it's it's heavy-handed, but it's effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Grey Worm is is there, and he's killing a bunch of Lannister prisoners on Danny's orders, apparently. Uh, John tries to talk him out of it, but he fails, and Davos tells John we should speak with the Queen. It's interesting because it seems like there's as much of a cultural misunderstanding as anything. Because, like, Grey Worm's got these guys on her knees. He's about to execute them. And John's like, what are you doing? He's like, look, these are free men. They chose to serve Cersei Lannister. And they're certainly free as comparison to, like, Grey Worm and his compatriots who were literally sold into slavery or born into slavery and have had their identities and their manhoods taken from them um, against, you know, against their will, et cetera, et cetera. Um but to think that these Lannister men were free in the sense that they came to Cersei Lannister's banner, mm-hmm. r- rallied to her cause, chose to support her in the way that Grey Worm was offered a choice to support Danny or not, just shows that he doesn't really understand the distinctions between free men and serfs and slaves and nobility and class and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's, it, it's tragic. It's tragic because he has no sympathy for these men when... If you knew just a little bit more, he would see that he has much more in common with these people than he does with any of the lords that he's going to be babysitting over squabbles later in the episode. Yeah, they would just as soon come fight with him, you know, yeah. if, if the situation were a little bit different. And ultimately, 
this is a super interesting point that doesn't really matter. And I feel like that Grey Worm, uh, uh, above a lot of people, gets one of the bigger shafts in this episode because... I don't know. He's just kind of like a like a vaguely disappointingly evil, like it's in the same way that Danny is. And I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't get, you know, a better send off than all of the Unsullied are going to go off and follow Grey Worm and his crusade to honor the dead memory of his loved one. Yeah, and they really hang all that on uh, the death of Miss Sandy, mm-hmm. and it it in some ways doesn't quite feel earned. Like I get it. Gray worm was the closest to Miss Sandy that anyone was. Sure. Um, and her death probably affected him greatly, but to commit war crimes, uh, you know, after that event, it, it seems like a bit of a stretch unless he really does have orders from Danny. And then I believe he carries them out. No, I think he probably does. I think he's loosely interpreting her orders. That's what, yeah. As, and, and doing it from a faulty cultural understanding, but... Sure, sure. You know, um, Danny didn't set a great example for him as far as no. her conduct on the battlefield. All right, so Tyrion makes his way all the way down to the lowest levels of the dungeons beneath the Red Keep, where he finds his brother and sister under a heap of rubble, and he breaks down crying. I mean, here's the thing. Peter Dinklage really tried, <laughs> and so did Jawadi, to sell me on this yeah. scene. But I found it borderline. I, I thought that it was a little much giving Jamie and Brienne like this kind of um, tragic lovers ending last episode. But now, with them literally laying... Oh, Jamie the, and Cersei. Uh, Jamie yeah. and Cersei, I'm sorry. I, I keep making that mistake. Now laying in the shallow pool of rubble, and they're perfectly posed in each other's arms. Like I just... It felt like rubbing my nose in it, and I didn't like it. I like it, especially since I thought what Tyrion was getting geared up to do was to go confront Danny alone, to have that moment, which he eventually does, but he takes a side trip to see, and it just it all felt contrived, the fact that he could, you know, fuck off for God knows how long and do this private thing and then f- find the exact spot where they died and be able to dig through the rubble. It just, I... And well, for I think, what? The service of plot that I never was a big fan of anyway. The fact that, that Tyrion's fatal flaws, he just loves his family a little bit too much. Um, yeah, I guess that's what they're going for. Um, you're right. It, they they tried their damnedest, and Peter Dinklage is so good in this scene, so fucking good, that he can almost make me care about these idiots. Yeah. Uh, but not quite. He, he, he can't, him and Ramin both, like they just can't connect those dots in my head. No. There's no way to do it. Um, yeah. and I think Tyrion is hoping that this plan has worked, right? He's headed mm-hmm. down there to try and find some boat, uh, or, or see that the boat is gone, maybe have some hope for his, you know, sister and brother having made it out. Uh, the thing to me that was most disappointing maybe is the depiction of just that area. Cause, cause last episode it made me think that the entire ceiling had caved in, mm-hmm. that it had crushed these people beyond recognition under a pile of rubble that would take years to dig through. Yeah, like years. you need, like, modern equipment to yeah. excavate. Yeah, it, it would take probably months to dig through with modern equipment and, mm-hmm. and decades for, yeah. you know, the, these people to clear out. Mm-hmm. Turns out it was a few bricks yeah. that came down off the Just fucking, one layer. Just one uh, small it, layer of brick yeah. rubble. The, the fucking... I don't know the what. What is the thing on the Sistine Chapel called? What is the 
the the ceiling no yeah, yes the, the roof yes. the fresco the plaster <laughs> sure the fresco we'll go with that uh-huh. i thought that the fresco had just dropped on their uh-huh. head after seeing this no, I, I joked an instant take but if they wore hard hats i do believe they would have survived yeah you know the lead paint the lead in the paint <laughs> on the ceilings took right. them out not the bricks right. apparently they would have died of meslothomania or whatever <laughs> right. the, 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 whatever uh-huh. the would have gotten them i yeah it's it's not great it was a little weird uh, after seeing the thing come down, but uh, like I said, the Dinklage did an amazing job in this scene. Mm-hmm. And I won't take that away from him. All right, we move on to Danny addressing her army as John and Arya both arrive. She's sort of up there on this big uh, stairway, and she tells her people that King's Landing has been liberated, and they're going to keep on liberating, quote unquote, until every last corner of the map has been freed. She names Grey Worm the Queen's Master of War in support of that mission. And then Tyrion arrives and takes his place by her side. When the speech is concluded, Danny has Tyrion taken to a cell for freeing his brother, uh, the, the treason. Uh, but not before he removes his hand pin and throws it down the stairs in a really cool moment. Yeah. Um, and A couple of really cool moments in this scene. Yeah, like Danny looking very evilly regal in front of her blood red, you know, her blood red and black banner, and it's very yeah. cult of personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's walking down these steps. There's this background, the shot of Drogon taking off behind her, and it makes it look like she's literally become a dragon. Um, it's very night on bald mountain. John wading through a sea of horses' asses had me triggered after seeing John Wick three. I'm like, just don't, don't. <laughs> That's the business in John. Don't get too close. But he's just mm-hmm. blithe through the danger. And Arya and John are doing this kind of weird, flank, like subconscious flanking thing, which I thought, like, oh shit, shit's going to go down like real, real soon. Uh, but it doesn't. And she gives her speech that's like very well received by the Dothraki and the Grey Worms and Unsullied. Yeah. So uh, how could it? Because like, <laughs> okay, Th- this is a, a major problem that I didn't realize until. Uh, my girlfriend pointed out on my second watch, uh-huh. Arya and John have no fucking idea what she's saying. They might hear the word Winterfell in there right. and go, hmm, interesting. Uh-huh. She said something about yeah. Winterfell, but they got no fucking clue what she's talking about. I think she they know that she's using her big angry words, and they're not, they're not. And and the Unsullied and and Dothraki are cheering after this. This isn't like. Whew, boy, that escalated fast. You know, you you killed a man with a trident, Grey Worm. Holy shit, this was, like, triumphant. Look what we did, and we're mm-hmm. going to do more of it. But you're right. They're, they're, they played it as if there was a universal translator. And, and they do this a lot in this episode. They play yeah. something in a very specific way that le- leads me to believe that they haven't thought enough about these plot points. Yeah. So... I don't know if you've got to the point where John and Arya have a powwow about how they feel about this, hmm. but Arya says, you know, you know, John's like, well, yeah, she's it's the war's over. She's it's she's everyone's queen now, and she's like, well, tell Sansa, think about your family. This is the like the sixth time that he'll be reminded of this, and she's like, and, and don't forget about yourself. You'll always be a threat uh, as the last Targaryen uh, or as the as the heir to the throne. I know a killer when I see one. Jim, defend that dialogue. Arya is saying this about a person that we've all just seen burn hundreds of thousands of people without any kind of provocation that you could defend. I know I a mean, killer when I see one. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's like if I was sitting in front of a computer that was literally on fire and I was telling someone that I was working on in their behalf, like, you know what? 
I've seen a PC disaster. I know a PC disaster when I know one. Like, no fucking shit. <laughs> this is not... But the thing is, is like, I really do think that the Double Ds felt like they had done the job of putting a, some kind of morally gray thing. Like, you know what? Danny's been through a lot of shit. Sometimes people just go crazy and what are you going to do and there would be but like to me we we talked about this a ton last week the ways they could have tweaked this to make it seem like okay moment that that, that, like john or somebody could argue this is a momentary lapse of judgment and you have this actual but every time john defends this woman against everyone in his episode it feels so half-hearted like i don't know if i would do the same like Bullshit, John. Fucking bullshit. No one buys this. And to me, this was the engine that was broken that made the whole episode not work. Everyone, yeah. like like this this whole thing, like oh, what are we doing? What's the best thing? What's the, you know, what what's the what's the freaking brilliant political solution? Everything felt really dumb and not well thought out. And the episode needed for that all to be true. There needed mm-hmm. to be actual debate, and there needed to be shades of gray and nuance, like. You know, like, what do we learn from from Ned and 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 his kind of simple minded approach to politics? Yeah, I I feel like after declaring fan bankruptcy, I still had like forty thousand dollars worth of government student loans. Yeah, (laughs) that like I couldn't quite shake. Yeah, it turns out the double D's passed through some parliamentary bullshit, some act where you can't actually fully disclose the discharge your debts. Right. Exactly. Fandom. Yeah, Yeah, because it was such a fundamentally broken thing to me last Mm -hmm. episode um, that, that I I saw John's, you know, sort of stubborn defiance of of accepting what danny actually did here as truly evil right uh uh, silly because he loved her so much but he loved her so much that he's grossed out the fact that she's like it it, it felt like they were trying to simultaneously tell like three different motivations for mm -hmm. john like why him and danny started cooling off what was the actual that they 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 have a hard time really connecting those dots between ja- John and Danny are madly in love to now they're slightly cooled off to now they're actually on enemies now they're and they I felt like they also went back on some of that progress by making Danny just bonkers mm-hmm. just like unhinged detached from reality it allows her to have a scene where she like almost coyly and sexily plans global genocide with John mm-hmm. thinking that he's on the same board as her it's just really weird it made her seem well i mean we haven't even got to that scene but yeah we will um so we talked about aria and and john here so let's move on to john going to Tyrion's cell uh where Tyrion admits he was wrong about danny and he tries to convince john of the same uh and he basically leaves john with a choice which is to do something about danny or to be complicit in the murder of everyone in king's landing (laughs) yeah and and potentially the entire globaros and if that's yeah. not it, think about you. Think about your sisters. Like, yeah, you know, and and you're the only one that can make this choice, John. You're I. The thing is, is everything I said about this scene goes double for this. This is a great mm-hmm. scene, and individually, it has like I'm not going to say it's brilliantly written because I feel like the writing is a little bit clunky and and less George Martin of late uh, episodes and late seasons. But it's fine. It's just it doesn't work because all the emotional energy you're supposed to take into it isn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's like 
Jamie and Tyrion talking about Cousin Orson in the Black Cells before Tyrion. Like, if you believe that Tyrion, there's, there, if there's no tension in, in Tyrion living or dying, that's a stupid scene. That's like what The Walking Dead does all the time, where mm. they have a character that they have not developed for three seasons, give this big flowery speech the episode they die about, like, oh, you know, when my mom was torn apart by zombies in a shopping mall, and she gave me this fucking plastic flower... I swore I'd carried up my ass till the day I died. Now I'm crap. I'm like, it's like, what? And this was a lot of that where John and Tyrion are grappling with just very preschool, simple geopolitical issues. You just had the, the queen go fucking crazy and destroy a whole city after she got an absolute decisive military victory. Yeah. You can't have that, man. And, and like that, that. Tyrion should have been like uh, John, and John, and John's like, "Yo, totally, uh, I'm on the same page. I know what I got to do." Yeah, I mean, there's such, uh, there's so many better ways to play this where I understand the tension much, uh, much more intuitively between mm-hmm. John's honor and his mm-hmm. duty here. Right, and and there's like none of that is there because Danny is so clearly a threat to everyone on this planet now. Right. And if they had just told that story a little bit more, made her even slightly more sympathetic uh-huh. or or her motivation slightly more understandable, I think you could get there in this scene and it becomes a much better scene. Well, also the whole like love is the death of duty, but they've really undermined the whole love plot line. Uh, they never had a love plot line. They, re- they had they had one kind of hot boat sex scene mm-hmm. and then it started to fall apart. So. You know, John is not the kid that was in season two that saw Egret, and, you know, they both kind of like young love. Like, he's a little bit more, he's been through that. He's a little bit more mature. Mm-hmm. They're trying to say that this was a great love story. Like, so if John's reticence to bring justice to Danny is because he loves her deeply, they fuck that and they undermine that. If his reticence is just, well, you know, you could argue that she went over the line, but, you know, from her point of view, they failed on both of those counts. Danny's actions were the actions of a madwoman that were completely inexcusable. Uh, and also, John's not really that into her anymore. Yeah. If he was as into her as he thought, I don't think this would have happened because she would have accepted that maybe people in Westeros could learn to love her. But they told the opposite story, so what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there's something kind of nice here in the writing. and I, I want to point it out where I can. Uh-huh. Uh, where essentially I, I talked about this choice that um, Tyrion leaves John with at the end of this, and I think in the next scene that choice becomes so important when Danny basically takes the choice out of everyone else's hands because I think at that point John is assuming okay, well everyone's going to get a choice in this, right? Everyone's going to get a say, and we're going to create this new world under Danny together. When Danny takes that away, takes that choice from everyone else, now the choice truly is on John, and he has to decide one way or another what he's going to do here um and i think it's a nice moment in in the dialogue before we leave the scene and go into the next one i just want to note that john was stripped of every single weapon he had uh-huh. before he was able to visit Tyrion the prisoner yeah just just want to point that out mm-hmm. okay danny gets close enough to touch the iron throne but not sit in it before john arrives in the throne room he confronts her about killing the prisoners and burning children in the streets, and he begs Danny to show mercy to Tyrion and the people of Westeros. When she refuses and tells John that the people don't get a choice in the new world she's building, John kisses her and then puts a knife into her chest. Drogon flies up, finds his dead mother, melts the iron thrown to the ground, and flies off with Danny's body. Man, I did not know the one the mini 
virtues of dragons is their intense appreciation for dramatic irony. Man, yeah, they he, Drogon knows he's been following Game of Thrones right. really closely. Right, he knows what's up. Right, yeah, Drogon reads his local newspaper. He keeps up he on does. current events. He's he read, knows he's read Fire and Blood. He he, kn- he knows where all the problems lay. You stupid, foolish, fucking humans. He's read uh, Gods of Thrones. Right, he's seen Dragonheart, and he knows that dragons' <laughs> uh, chief responsibility is to try to mold people into the shape of of, of heroes. Actually, I, he was just hungry. He was hoping the throne would turn to ash. <laughs> And he could eat it. Right, he could gobble right. it up. You know what? Actually, uh, uh, dragons have precognition, and he knew Bran was going to be the king, and he was making it ADA compliant. Oh, yeah. Just make Bran space. Can't, can't, it's going to, like, you know, it's like, what, someone going to carry him and <laughs> no. put him in on the iron? He's just going to wheel up, and now he's on the iron puddle, and he's good, he's ready to go. <laughs> the iron puddle, yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I, I mean... I so I guess Drogon is the only bodyguard Danny needs for the entire Red Keep. Like she is alone in the entire Red Keep, and mm-hmm. and and John comes in in full battle gear. Uh, I mean, whatever. Um, yeah, I didn't have a problem with John having weapons here. Uh, I don't like I said they just made it a whole point to like disarm him before he goes to talk to Tyrion, but he goes to talk to Queen, and it's like Drogon gives him a sniff. Yeah, he's cool. And mm-hmm. he goes back to sleep. Um, I thought that was a really cool moment, like Drogon waking up from this rubble and. That's uh, that's worth like eight ghost scenes, and appropriately so. Like if this episode was yeah. not not very confusing and 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 made me feel kind of bad as a fan, I, I would be all about it. But I mean, there's a couple other things thematically that I like about this scene, like Danny like touching the throne but not actually achieving it gives her a touch of like a a tragic messiah kind of almost a mo- mosaic mm-hmm. figure that uh, she can. She's she, she because of a transgression at the threshold. She's going to be able to glimpse the promised land, but not actually. It's it's not something that she secured for herself. It's something she secured for, uh, the, the, you know, worthier people. Um, mm-hmm. but and there's no like there was no even attempt to have her be like I know I let you down and I can't believe I did that. Uh, but it's just I couldn't let. I, there was no attempt. It's just she was in full on sociopath mode, just sing song. Yeah. Oh, when I was a little girl, I had th- th- thought about counting to 20, and now I can, and I burnt everyone. And, oh, John, you'll see how perfect it's going to be when we ruled as auntie and nephew. And it's just, this isn't Danny that I spent eight seasons getting to know. It's not even, like, fallen Danny. It's just just crazy town Danny. And, and uh, uh, that's the story they wanted to tell, but I think it's, it's, it's a bad, bad version of the story they wanted to tell. Yeah, as far as um, like plot points go, I think this is a satisfying ending for this mm-hmm. relationship. I mean, it's a song of ice and fire. These are kind of the two uh, big players right. in in this Game of Thrones. I think if they had not bungled the execution, right, this moment hits really hard. But it's, I, it's really good. I think that Drogon psychically knowing that Danny's dead and incoming and glaring at John and burning the Iron Throne. Is something that works only on the most operatic, overly wrought level, and that the <laughs> fact that they went for this in the episode they're actually telling, I thought was mm-hmm. like, wow. Hmm. Uh, it was, I, I thought, like, kind of cover your eyes bad. Just, just like, because again, this came from like this. Why the fuck would he like they could have they could have had him just destroy like in his rage and grief just thrashing around destroy the throne room and the iron throne incidentally gets flung into the narrow sea. But for him to just deliberately and purposefully burn this thing down 
like I said, it works kind of, sort of, that like, oh, the first Targaryen conqueror made this thing, and the last Targaryen conqueror's dragon destroys the thing. But it's not something even the last Targaryen did. It's their dragon, and why? And they weren't even the last Targaryen. Yeah, and like, I, there was, there's definitely things in the hooks if they wanted to make these dragons like more intelligent-seeming than you'd think, that they could have leaned into, but it kind of just felt like out of nowhere, and... Very like, oh, look how fraught with meaning this is. This was the look at all the human misery this thing this thing mm-hmm. caused and suffering. And Drogon is going to destroy it and take his mama out of the world because she was too good for it. I, it's a beautiful shot, mm-hmm. and like I said, there's a lot going for it. It's just I it didn't belong in this episode, and not even felt it didn't even feel like it belongs in this series of television. Hmm. Yeah, I think you really have to jump through some hoops to make it work but uh let's move on we actually skip a little bit of time here uh sometime later Tyrion's taken from his cell and brought to a meeting of the powerful lords and ladies of westeros in the the dragon fighting pit uh everyone argues about whether danny did a good thing and whether john should be freed from his unsullied imprisonment davos tries and fails to broker a deal Tyrion suggests that this group choose a new king and that person decides what happens to john so Edmure stands up and makes a bid, but he's quickly shut down by Sansa and everyone else. Uh, Sam suggests democracy, and everyone laughs in his face. Finally, Tyrion suggests that Bran the Broken be chosen because he has a great story, and he doesn't want the throne, which is important. Uh, he can't father children, so future rulers will be chosen by the lords and ladies in this very spot. Everyone, including Bran, agrees. Sansa insists that the North will remain independent, and the newly appointed King Bran... Uh, agrees, and then he appoints Tyrion as Hand of the King. Grey Worm's super pissed and has one final demand. Uh, this is um, this is a wild scene, man. Uh, let's let's take it in kind of I don't know any kind of order, not not any kind of order of importance. First of all, Sweet Robin, <laughs> holy shit, dude! Everybody's this is I, I haven't seen this level of oh my god so hot uh-huh. since. Ted Bundy tapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to go continue to go with Neville Longbottom, but uh, right. yeah, I, I mean, mean the it, fandom it, it, is losing their shit over this. He, he didn't. He it wasn't Giant's Milk, but mm-hmm. whatever it was, it did a body good. And and yeah. uh, Bronze Rion's Royce uh, uh, to, to, to straighten this kid out. Seemed like he's uh, not going to be a complete fuck up. Um, why? Is is the whole insistence on calling Grey Worm Togo Nudo so that Davos could make this half-assed attempt to level with him? Because how fucking... And I, I love that they played Grey Worm appropriate. Not even, I don't think, appropriately outraged, but outraged at the idea that they would attempt to buy him off. Like, mm-hmm. start my own fucking house? What the... F- what future, what future does a house yeah. of eunuchs have? Tell oh, me this. Oh, yeah, great. A, a house of eunuchs. Oh, strangely, it died off in about 50 to 60 years. No <laughs> right. one saw that coming. Uh-huh. Uh, dwindled into obscurity. Like, it's just... <laughs> does does I, I, I can only assume that that was meant to be an intentionally insulting offer. Not just insulting in that, like... Or that Davos is incredibly stupid and doesn't realize... None of those the, things the I of the think unsullied. in universe are satisfying. I agree. So... It's a joke, and I, I think they go with the joke for joke's sake Too several times many jokes in this episode. In this scene. Like Edmure, I, I I think a lot of 
Like, oh, I thought this was great. I loved Ed Mirror. Yeah, that's fine. But like every time they went for more humor, and then like kind of like laughing at Sam's idea of democracy, that's fairly droll. That's fine too. Yeah, I was talking about later in the uh, small council chambers mm. where they they make a joke of Tyrion not being in the book, which mm-hmm. is truly absurd. But I also thought on that the like face of it. the way that this thing was paced, where first of all. Grey Worm, at one point when Tyrion opens his mouth and says, shut up, you're not here to be heard, he's totally right. I don't understand what energy Tyrion possessed where he could just command this room and shut up the likes of Yara and Sansa and just anyone. Grey Worm. It's always been Tyrion's thing, though, right? I mean, his mouth is what has kept him alive and gotten him into numerous troubles, too, over the course of this eight seasons yeah it's weird i've never seen him like fight from his back this much because he's Mm -hmm. like very you know cringing and you know soft-spoken and he but but i i thought i don't know i thought it was a little bit weird that everyone is kind of also i thought some other instances of weak writing is very weird and i know we've talked about this a couple times in later seasons and i've always said well you know it's not the worst thing about the show but you know it's the final last episode i'm gonna i'm gonna nitpick a bit Using terms like country and flags, hmm. that's a very modern way to phrase things like realms and banners. And that's why, like, M- Martin has little things he makes up and inserts. Like, you know, it's it's not just sir, it's sir. It's the S. There's this is a little bit off and it gives it, it gives like a, a real feeling of, uh, you know, fat. Of a real lived-in world, but something different, and the fact that they just don't bother to do that, I feel like is indicative of um, them not caring as much. And also, I think that there's a good chance that Bran probably sits on some version of the Iron Throne in in Martin's because it does feel like an interesting subversion. But like going with Bran the Broken and Bran the Broken Dick, like there was a lot of just like plain reading of this being very insulting, and Bran should have been like, hey, hey. And also, plain Brand, reading Brand of the doesn't scene, get insulted. Plain reading of the scene, Bran has just mind fucked everyone into making him king. Yeah, he said it. He said it on screen. Like, yeah. why do you think I came down here? Yeah, this whole season, everything he's done is with the foreknowledge that it's maneuvered him so he can sit on the thr- that he can sit on the throne. Yeah. Then Sansa says, "Oh, after you've put a northern lord on the fucking iron throne. Oh, by the way, we <laughs> bled a lot in these wars. We want to be independent like everyone has like we were for thousands of years." At which point, the prince of Dorne immediately stands up and says, "Unbent, <laughs> unbowed, unbroken, bitch. Peace. They're gone." Yara's like, "Oh, right. I was promised an independent kingdom at the start of all this. I'll take yoink my independence, and now he's the he's the fucking lord of the four kingdoms. Oh no, it's three. Oh no, it's two. I think he's going to be able to maintain the crown lands. That's it. Like, well, this is this Game of Thrones or not, man? Yeah. Come on. I'm with you. It's so stupid. They're." The compromise should have come from both sides. It should have been John having to do something to compromise with with Grey Worm here, but also Sansa. I mean, you can't have a free North and also six other kingdoms under one rule. Right. And I'm not even getting to like some of the other stuff, like the fact that it's kind of ridiculous that like, hey, we'll just show up here and we'll elect a leader every time someone dies. Like, that feels like a, I mean... I don't know. I mean, it's what the Catholic Church does. It's a, sure. a lot. I mean, it's no. A, you can do it. I'm just saying that, like, 
there was no po- geopolitical development that made it seem like the lords will ever stop squabbling and the sure. the the situation on the table should have should have gone down exactly like i just said it there's no, i can't think of a compelling reason that everybody would just go along with this other mm-hmm. than if you have a dark interpretation everyone's essentially sharpening their knives under the table and be like okay sure yeah bran all right you can sit here and when we get we'll see what happens when we get back to Erie and we get back to sunspear but like all of this, they don't play that. Yeah. All these kind of glossed over happy feeling, feeling uh, endings. I feel like best case scenario mask a really underscoring darkness, or just show the showrunners don't care, are completely oblivious to the rules that they have been observing these last seven seasons. So yeah, I thought it was um, sort of strange that John was a prisoner uh, in this moment, and but they Tyrion's do not. They do like a second small time jump or they they do a time jump here which allows him to sort of get out of having to write a logical reason that john mm-hmm. wouldn't just be murdered on the spot right uh when they find out he killed the queen right Gr- gray worm i have a hard time believing gray worm would take this man prisoner yeah. and i've seen a lot of justification around like oh he knows that there's a lot of tension and if he were to kill john there'd be a war yeah. i just don't think he fucking cares yeah, um, and I've, the fact that the Dothraki weren't at this table at all, like, so... I don't know where the Dothraki fucked off to, but... I mean, like they, maybe their they're cow was Landing. just killed, so, like, as is tradition, I think the, the, their blood riders all kill themselves, and then the rest of them go marauding and rampaging until they figure out who is the new cow. Like, again, hmm. there is, prob- canonically, something like five to 10,000 Dothraki screamers just causing hell in, in Westeros right now with no leader at all, mm-hmm. no leadership structure. And the ins- But again, that also feels fundamentally unfair because these people gave their blood and lives for this cause, and they're not going to get recompensed at all. No. They're not going to get... There's there, there's going to be no restitution. There's going to be... Like, Grey Worm says, like, I don't want to be paid. I want fucking justice done. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to get justice because what they gave him is a perversion of justice. It's essentially Briar Rabbit getting thrown to the fucking Briar Patch. It's it's what he wanted, clearly wanted to happen in, in absence of all other things. He wanted to go up to the true north and live his life as a Northman. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to get... He's not even going to be the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. He's going to dip out on that and live his life. And... Mm-hmm. That sucks for Grey Worm. Yeah, but I don't care. Yeah, I, I hate I know. Grey Worm. Grey I know, Worm's a villain. But you should, right? You should. Like, this faction should be something whose political interest Grey Worm should carefully care. against other. Yeah, right. Yeah, Grey Worm should care. Uh, I don't care. And I'm actually kind of like, fuck you, Grey Worm. I'm happy John got sort of what he wanted at the end of this thing. But uh, then don't act like there's war in the offing between, like, if we don't do this John thing yeah. just straight up, like, why? I also wonder, like, why the fuck would Grey Worm ever agree to this? Like, so he's going to get his old job and his old position back and his, like, I, I, that all just felt like Grey Worm's like, you know what? Fuck this, whatever. You, Danny's not around. We're going to Noth. You know, mm-hmm. it felt very rushed and unearned. All right, uh, let's move on to... Well, no, hold on. Let's talk about Sansa and and Broken Bran. Uh Bran the Broken. Uh, They must have had some really awkward conversations when Bran was very young, right? Uh Like, Sansa... I'm just going to take Sansa at her word here, and she would know maybe best of anyone uh, that Bran can't have children. That it implies, like, that they've discussed right. his erections. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, or that at least uh, old Nan or old Nan or whatever right, her name right. was discussed the erections with Sansa. Or right. maybe Catelyn did at some point. 
There has definitely Mira. been a discussion of Mira. Brand's boner Mira, Mira, around Sansa. They had some girls talk with Mira when she's like, you know, it's not like yeah. I didn't try on this. Just, it's just he's just there's not, nothing happening down there. Not no, nothing's happening. There's no no. There's the signals being sent. None are being received. Because <laughs> I think uh, Sansa's taking a lot of shit for assuming, but we're assuming that she's assuming. You're right. I'm going to assume that she knows, and that there were weird conversations. Right. Um, no, I don't. And also, like, I I think. I don't want to labor the point, but like this makes Bran a fundamentally diabolical character because oh, it like, it, like it, 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 this puts in a whole different. You go back and think of some of his um, interactions, like uh, two episodes ago when when John looks to him for guidance about telling his secret, and he's like, "The choice is yours." What a fucking asshole move! Mm-hmm. If you do this thing, you will cause your queen to go crazy and kill somewhere between a hundred thousand and a million people, and I'll be on the throne. And if you don't, then maybe we get a conventional, you know, bittersweet, happy ending Game of Thrones. But like he absolutely this little story of him knowing that that was going to happen and his all like, oh, I have no desire to be Lord of Winterfell. Yeah, because you had your eyes on the fucking prize, dude. <laughs> like Brandon yeah. Stark is low key the best Game of Thrones player of all times, which. Mm-hmm. You would expect since he has the sum total of human knowledge. Yeah. So like, how, he, how is anyone going to outplay him? For sure. Is he going to make a good king? I don't know. All right. Tyrion goes to John and tells him that Bran's decided to send him to the Night's Watch in order to broker peace with the Unsullied. John's tortured by the choice that he had to make to kill Danny, and Tyrion says, "Yeah, just give it time. Give it time. It'll be fine." Uh, I, man, John's still tortured by this. Is tough for me to buy, although I guess it's somewhat fresh. It's been probably a few weeks, two weeks, three weeks, something mm-hmm. like that, maybe. Yeah, just judging by his like level of dishevelment. I do yeah. think, I, I forgot to talk about this in the scene, but I also thought, thought that the moment of John stabbing Danny was handled fairly poorly. Like, she died not knowing why, I think. And without any kind of comment or complaint or anything, like she just is almost like a weird mercy killing. And I don't know what I was expecting, but it felt very anticlimactic, especially combined with the time jump, hmm. you know? So anyway. Okay. Um, Has so, to ask us again in 10 years see how we're feeling, Jim. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are speculating that there was some premeditation in sending John to the wall uh, and John simply abandoning his post. I don't think any of that is true because of this scene. I don't know why Tyrion, if, you know, this was, if the Night's Watch is a joke that doesn't exist anymore and they're trying to pull a fast one on Grey Worm, comes to John in such a serious tone and says, we're sending you to the Night's Watch. No, it just shows that John is probably cavalier about keeping his promises, which actually at this I point, buy as a character development like yes. yeah like look at look at look at this fuck this i'll do whatever i want i, like, I think I've sacrificed enough is it weird to say that john has grown beyond this strict uh adherence to honor yeah. and loyalty that his father showed it would be interesting to see this john play the last two seasons because yeah i, I, I agree i do think that they did a very poor job of framing why the night's watch exists it does seem like it was just like okay wildlings get all back on your side of the wall now like the you know we're like it's jurassic park we've caught all the velociraptors and we're turning the electric fences on get back to your fucking padlocks and or it's just i i thought that was very weird it's a valid question in universe there's still a fucking night's watch and they don't yeah there's just a night's watch there's just a night's watch and i think you're right 
that institution would survive but it would have to have a different mandate and it would no longer be called the night's watch and mm, yeah. why do they have to live on the fucking wall why is just like i don't know shouldn't that wall start immediately being mined for fucking iced wine and, and oh shit and yeah King's landing Dorn would pay a hell of a lot of money for that iced wine. Yeah, Braun, Braun brand ice wine, mm-hmm. and he can get his beak wet a little bit in that deal. I, I just, I, I that, that again, not a big point, but something disappointed, disappointing that there we found so many people asking, "What's a Night Watch going to look like? Why would there be a Night's Watch?" We got an answer. There is a Night's Watch. Mm-hmm. Why? No one cares. Penal colony. It's a penal colony. As, it's Australia, as best we can tell. Yeah, yeah. It's like a. Opposite Australia. It's cold instead of hot. There's no poisonous creatures that we know of. Nope. It's more like uh, New Zealand, I guess. I don't know. I've seen some pretty fucked up shit in Brain Dead. Yeah? In New Zealand. Yeah, they have these crazy rats that bite you and turn you into a zombie. That the Castle Black got moles down. All right. <laughs> uh, so John's escorted the docks where he gets mean mugged by Grey Worm, who's about to set sail for Noth. Uh, Kevin C. wrote us in some um, some book in universe knowledge. Uh, the world of ice and fire states that anyone not born from Noth can't survive there due to a disease called butterfly sickness. It said anyone staying for more than a day or so will die a horrible slow death from this disease that's believed what? to be carried by the butterflies living on the island. Grey Worm's in for a rude awakening when he arrives at his love's island paradise and realizes that most of his people, including himself, aren't immune and start dropping like flies. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the the indoor holocaust where the Ewoks get destroyed when the Death Star blows up around their, you know, it's like it seems like a moment of triumph until you land and the butterflies start biting you. But yeah, that's an actual very real thing. I don't think the Double Ds give a shit about it, and I don't think that makes, like, it's, it adds a grim chuckle uh, to our kind of discontent with the series as a whole, but like, in the grand scheme of things. Only for book readers. It's only for book readers. Yeah. Okay, um... So the Starks reunite one last time. Sansa apologizes for John's fate, and John wishes her well uh, in ruling the North. Arya tells him that she's going to set sail f- uh, for west of Westeros, whatever that may be. Westeros. And John apologizes for not being there when Bran needed him, but says he uh, Bran says he was exactly where he needed to be to make me king. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then John leaves. Thanks for that, cuz. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I took exception about Arya's um, wanderlust. Um, emailer Vanessa wrote in and said they actually do mention Arya's desire to explore the world before. In uh, an mm-hmm. episode, or season six, episode eight, no one, Arya's healed by the Lady Crane after the Waif stabs her. When the Lady asks her where she should go with uh, the Waif trying to kill her, Arya replies, what's west of Westeros? Uh, Arya says, nobody knows. That's where all the maps stop, and I'd like to see that. So... There is a little bit of character development that um, I didn't recall, and it's absent from the book. I wouldn't say it's like my top three or four defining things about Arya, or even five. But yeah, there. Like again, this isn't what is makes this episode and this season bad for me. Um, no. it's just another thing I'm I'm noting that felt like I, I it's something I was resistant to because nothing else was earned. Why would they have earned this? Uh, I do like the goodbye between Arya and John, though. Mm-hmm. It, it feels heartfelt, um, which is kind of all I needed. Yeah, I don't know. Because, like, the other thing is, um, if they're going for, like, a Frodo-type ending with Arya, where she's just too seen too much shit to be able to relate to having a happy home, 
I wish they had done a little bit because like her finding that white horse to me will symbolized her having some kind of normal life and the fact that she's just going to turn her back and never come back to her home, never see her family the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. That feels like a Frodo going to, you know, well, I mean, let's learn what he did. He went off to the West to Valinor or whatever. Um, I, I don't, I feel like they messed up that too. Cause I, I didn't get the Arya was broken and damaged and she just had to go away. Cause she's so sad and dealing with her, her, her trauma, which is a valid, valid story. They could have told. I didn't feel like they told it very well. Yeah, and yet another strike against the idea that they pulled a fast one on Grey Worm. Sansa's apologizing here, right, for sending John to the Wall. Why would she do that if this right. was if like it's a, a wink, wink, we temporary know. thing, or yeah. a, hey, we know you're not actually going to stick with this? And uh, so people are like, they're because uh, you know, obviously, there's in there's there's invalid in my mind's defenses of the show. There's also invalid criticisms. People saying that, um, well, it's stupid to send John to the Wall because you just tell the Unsullied, and when they leave. I mean, this is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Like no one will ever hear that. That this rumored Aegon Targaryen that everybody knows about uh, actually didn't go to the Wall and he didn't renounce his titles and land. So he's still a uh, chess piece on the board. Like that would get across to Nath eventually, and then the Unsullied uh, yeah, sail great, for war. They're all going to be dead from butterfly sickness. That's and, true. And within like two days. Yeah. Wait so. until that happens, and then, then. But the bigger stopper here is Yara and the other lords who were like, "No, fuck you." John killed our queen. Danny's a hero, and right. we want justice as well. Which that you know that played for me because none of them were there. But yeah, yeah, I do think that like had they had been slightly more moral ambiguity, ambiguity, um, especially can you know like you essentially there sh- there should have been a war between our modern sensibilities and like the medieval sensibilities. So like Danny's obviously evil by a, a modern standpoint and borderline evil by a med- medieval standpoint, but clearly not identified with the good characters like John and Tyrion and, and Davos and all that. And they didn't do that. So when Yara comes in and be like, fuck it, she's my queen, ride or die. Okay, fine. You weren't there. But also look around you. Holy shit. I mean, I guess you're Iron Islander. You're kind of all about the raping and reaving, but really this, yeah. this is what you guys would do. All right, Brienne finishes Jamie's page in the White Book, I guess is what this is called. Yeah. Uh, she is remarkably kind to Jamie. And that felt this, I don't like the way this went down, but this felt true to what Brienne would actually do. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of funny takes about Brienne's burn book and people having fun with things that she might have written in it. But mm-hmm. this is what I think Brienne would do in this situation. She'd be very classy and she'd try to find the nobility and 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 Jamie's character even as it tore her heart out. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if it's because she still has affection for Jamie despite, you know, the seems like it. Seems like there was a lump the size of King's Landing in her throat when she was writing that last passage. Yeah. And I think that also like man, the better version of this story is Jamie going back to try to stop the queen and ended up dying mm-hmm. futilely. And then You've got, I think, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that this is terrible. And uh, I just think that, uh, yeah, it is because it betrayed. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> fucked up. The, Maybe Brienne read Jamie's I'm Hateful as well, the yeah. same way we did as an audience. It's a pit, like a pity, piteous kind of. Or so, oh, you're saying that, yeah, like, that he was going to go actually back and kill her. So she, her uh, head cannon is she did, he did and, die. And now guy. she's writing what she thinks is a lie in order to, like, to preserve his honor. I, I still think what they did to Jamie's character is horseshit, but yeah. if that is what they did, then I think this is a great 
an earned moment for Brienne. It's not a moment of mm-hmm. triumph for her, but it it is no, very it's, true it's, to her character. I mean, this is a bittersweet moment. Yes, I, I think I can put that label on it. Yeah, and she's now Lord Commander, so she's never going to be like, and she'll take that shit seriously. So she's mm-hmm. not going to like Pod's going to be in the brothels. <laughs> he's going to keep. He's probably classy enough, and he has enough respect for Brienne. He's going to keep it low key, and he's not going to be notorious about it. But I, he's he's going <laughs> to spend his time. Uh, fathering children. They might not have names and they're not going to hold titles, but he's going <laughs> to do it. Uh, Brienne, I think, is going to be true blue. So, like, I guess having given her one intense, like, pa- like passionate night with a person she loved and who in the moment loved her is also kind of satisfying, too. Uh, like, she got a chance to glimpse that life and she knows what she's giving up, um, unlike Jamie when he joined with the Kingsguard when he was, like, you know, 14 <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 it's fine. Um, it's not the ending I wanted for her, but it's a fine ending that fits with her character. I think with a different master of coin, maybe Pod takes his vows more seriously. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But that's not the world we're living in. All right, Tyrion tidies up the small council chambers ahead of the, the meeting. Uh, then the small council arrives. It's comprised of Bronn, who's the master of coin, Brienne, who's the lord commander of the Kingsguard, Davos, master of ships, and Sam as the Grand Maester. Sam presents the history of this whole show as a book called The Song of Ice and Fire, which apparently <laughs> completely unrealistically, impossibly neglects Tyrion. Uh, it completely does not mention him at all. This is a bad joke. This is a joke for a joke's sake, and it completely undermines any sense of reality. That you this can world tell has. this joke, but then have Sam clearly be like, "No, I'm just fucking with exactly. you." Exactly. And then the joke is uh, Tyrion's vanity, yeah. his false modesty about like, "Oh, I hope everything about that joke." But like, to commit to the fact that like, no, Sam, how is this guy it, left out? It makes the Maester who wrote this book like a look like a complete fucking idiot. Yeah, like if this because was like Tyrion a trade is paper- instrumental in right. so many actions right. that led up to this. And if this is just a trade paperback or like a scroll for fresh up, but this is like a like a giant thick, <laughs> yeah, Game of Thrones sized book. And like the fact that the the Tyrion. I mean, Jesus Christ, that he was hand of the king. He killed the hand of the he king. He killed his father to hand of the king. He was then hand of the opposition queen. He, he, he presumably, everybody thinks he killed it, Joffrey. Like, yeah, he is, he is a huge exclamation mark in any book about the history of these events. Yeah, and the fact that they would do this as a throwaway joke, when again, they could do the joke, they just have to, and also that would be a nice character moment for Sam, that like he's a yeah. little self-aware he's loosening up that maester's chain a bit he's not so fucking literal and they don't do it at all sam's tone here is completely earnest yep and it does not work he's not not really changed at all he's not any more like self-assured or self-confident or self-possessed even as the fucking grand maester like oh boy uh so or you could the other thing is you could just make this joke openly about brawn because Braun uh-huh. in his mind probably is, and, and and that's actually a little bit more central than anyone cares to admit. Okay. But like the like, but he's always a proxy for a bigger men, right? Yeah. Like he's the cat's paw behind Jamie, Cersei, Tyrion. So he, all of his actions would be attributed to those people, and mm-hmm. I think that would actually be a funny joke. Yeah. Um, that the guy that came closest to killing a dragon before fucking Euron Greyjoy would get left out of this book, but Tyrion, come on, man. Yep. It's absurd. Uh, so Bran arrives, and he immediately wargs off to find Drogon. Uh, but he doesn't. He says he's going to, and then he's wheeled out. So I guess that's what he's going to be doing in the hall. What does Bran need with the Master of Whispers? 
<laughs> yeah. So, so conspicuously, there isn't one, right? Right. But does he say like, "Oh, we're missing a master"? Yes, of Whis- yes, he does. Yeah. He well, says, why the fuck would he need? We one? don't have a master of war, master of whispers, or ma- and master of laws. And like that, I, I just felt like you know, if you want to make a jokey joke, then have Brand be like, "Obviously, I, I have no need for master of whispers because I have hundreds and like there's like crows all around." I, I feel and- like there's a series of nah, I'm just fucking with you jokes here that they could have pulled off really well. But that's that under pull that, off a Sam one, pull right. off a Brand one, like. But that underscores also the f- maybe fatal flaw because I Brand being on the Iron Throne is doesn't feel like a Martin thing because or if it is, then it's going to be explicitly Brand is the master of the police state. Because that's what you got. Yeah, you got a king that can see anything, anywhere. Can anyone can be under monitored? Any conversation that's remotely critical of him as his regime can be ruthlessly oppressed if he wants to. Like, and and he's all all, uh, also good news. He's detached from his humanity, so he doesn't have any compassion or empathy to kind of restrain those types of actions. Mm -hmm. But no, he's brand broken, and he's cool. He's got the best story out of all of these fantastic characters. (laughs) Uh, and Podrick being a knight, I guess that's is, good. Is cool. Yeah, Th- not- this is the arc that he's been building on the entire time. Yep. Uh, Tyrion tries to set an agenda, but it's a very rough group, and uh, let's just call it there's some squabbling. Yeah, that's bittersweet. Even then, like that's supposed to be funny, but it's like this is the realm we're talking about, guys. You guys are the survivors of the most fucked up war the realm's ever seen. You should know the lessons about who the true enemy is, and we're bickering about brothels. And and this is the thing. I feel like Braun is just going to steamroll everyone yeah, in this group. And, he's a criminal. And, he's a self-interested criminal. Right, and you put him in charge of all the money in the kingdom. I like kingdom. him. He's a great character, but he, a master of coin? Holy shit. <laughs> it's a bad idea. But yeah. and, and here's the thing. I think Tyrion season four, season three, let's say... Uh, could easily keep him in check and has in the past. Yeah, I don't know that season eight Tyrion has it within him to control Bronn. I mean, I think Bronn is de facto running the the realm here. He could. I mean, maybe, like if if not only because Bronn or Bran can outplay him. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, he's a he's a scary dude, and I don't know. Maybe they could have explicitly leaned into Bran as this immortal god or not not immortal but like all-knowing god and like you know everyone best be on their best behavior because santa claus fucking real (laughs) and has a has a fucking grudge i i but but they don't they don't play it's all jokes all jokey jokes yeah so john is escorted all the way to castle black where he finds ghost waiting for him along with torment and all the remaining free folk uh, then we get a montage of everyone in their final dispositions. It's John with the Free Folk headed north, Sansa Queen in the north, Arya the captain of a very large ship. John is welcome home, welcomed home as they all kind of depart there for the land beyond the wall. Yeah, I like it. I, I like seeing Arya smile. I, I you know I'm gonna buy her uh, Captain Arya plot why not um, sure she's got a cool Harry Potter scar in her forehead now so she's the got most that going believable one here. I think is Sansa. Yeah, it's Queen in the North. Yeah. Feels uh, like she's been building to that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just wish that the others... I, I just wish that, like... I don't know, because, like, what would that say? The only reason these squabbling kingdoms are together is because some dude with two badass sisters rode three large dragons over and just willed it to happen. Uh and it feels right for that thing to fall apart. And maybe if there was like, okay, it's fallen apart, but this is 
we got different people and we've been through an experience and we're going to rule justly and wisely and all that stuff. But like, I don't, I didn't, I don't know the way that the, the small council was dispositioned. I I guess I felt good about everybody except for Braun, but the fact that he's on there is a big, big deal, I think. Um, And there's just, just a lot of this just felt like it's bittersweet, but almost unintentionally because a lot of these people have like generically kind of happy, like John's where he wants to be. Sansa's mm-hmm. where she wants to be and where she's feeling most secure. Arya's where she stated she wants to be and she's hopeful, but like, w- I don't feel good about the, the state of the realm. Like there, there, I have no good, like, Oh, this is going to work out. We're going to have a nice 20, 30 year run of peace and security. And that's, it feels, it feels just as unstable as, as we started. And I don't, hmm. I, I don't know. I, that, I feel pretty good about their immediate future. You uh, think so? Yeah. I, so I, I think death. the compromise that they made with John yeah. has preserved the peace at least for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when Bran eventually passes on or when the next big hiccup in the kingdom comes, I don't know what happens. But. Yeah. I don't know. I said, cause there's like a lots of like, that's the other thing is I I probably shouldn't have expected this, but I, I guess I expected a little bit more, um, you know, how like talking about how we're going to feed people. There was a little bit of that. Like Tyrion's like, oh, can we get the breadbasket going again? And Bronn's like, sure thing. What's going on up north? Sansa was worried about feeding her people. Then she had to feed the largest army the world's ever seen. Then a bunch of people died. Like as 80, winning... 80 people died in the Battle of Winterfell. Yeah, man. yeah. So they have a lot less mouths to feed right, now. Yeah, 80 less. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I just thought that that's one of the chief criticisms of George Martin against uh, Lord of the Rings is a lot of those open questions about, okay, well, now we've got a good king. What does that look like? What does he do this? What do he do Obviously, if they're going for the spirit of Martin's ending, they're not going for the literal one because none of that stuff I thought was answered to anybody's satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I kind of like it. Seemed to me like most of the remaining free folk were children, uh-huh. which I think is kind of a nice touch. Although, with the way they've fucked with armies, like mm-hmm. oh Dothraki are eliminated, oh there's more than ever. Somehow it seems like there are still three thousand unsullied, even though that's the number they started with. 15 fucking years ago right uh i thought it was a nice touch to have most of the free folk being children it'd be funny because the women and the men would be fighting in that army right 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 right. it'd be funny if like uh, there was a scene of Tormund where he had like the wildling army and it's got like three different meeples there's like full-grown ones and slightly long ones with long hair and then little tiny meeples and he like (laughs) takes half of them off the board (laughs) you know sadly okay Uh, more of these guys than these guys but a lot of these guys too some at the hands of you crows, you dirty scoundrels. Or I can't stay mad at you. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Where's the big woman? Uh, okay. Yeah, the big woman's <laughs> wide open. You should have, you should have, yeah. you should have read in south, man. You could have uh, had that moment where she's about to pledge her life to the king's guard, and and he pounds <laughs> on the windows and uh huh uh huh holds up a big stereo outside of her outside of the Lord Commander's tower. <laughs> If anyone can think of any reason to object now, speak now or forever hold your and he busts in. Right. Oh, my God. All right. That's the end of the episode. Before we get to feedback, I want to take one last time to plug the club at club.baldmove.com. That is where you get access to ad free feeds. That's where you get access to exclusive bonus bald move content, such as we'll be kicking off another series of our, what we call our empire business, which is behind the scene looks at the podcasting. We'll be talking about. Uh, new ad deal we just made, uh, as well as uh, you know s- s- the the 
the the latest on our club sale and uh, our thoughts on the app and some other things we'll be trying along commissions podcast later this year. So if the inner workings of a podcast startup interest you, well, there you go. Uh, you can find uh, existing Empire Business Podcasts and get subscribed to the new ones at club.baldmove.com. And also, people love Lunch with Jim and Aaron. It's our every Friday afternoon show where we get on the cameras and we talk live uh, to our fans. They can submit questions to us on our forums at forums.baldmove.com and on Twitter, and then we answer them. We talk about whatever. A lot of people love it. Content like that can exclusively be found on the club, and it's super easy to join up. You go to club.baldmove.com. You can preview a lot of those features free of charge, get a free 30-day risk-free trial go to club.baldmove.com uh do we have feedback today oh we have feedback uh you can send more to game of thrones at baldmove.com but don't forget next week we're going to have a continue the wrap-up where we're probably going to look at the documentary that they're making uh that they're releasing on the 25th of this month may uh and also get to your guys's feedback see what final thoughts people have start talking about state of the prequels and uh, what George has been saying about the book series, like th- th- anything's on the table for next week. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. First up, Jamie H. Do Targaryens have some sort of psychic link to dragons? Is that how Dragon Drogon knew to fly in and start burning shit after Jon killed Danny? Did Drogon not burn Jon because he knew Jon was also a Targaryen? I agree with you guys that dragons are clearly intelligent, and I feel like they could have threw in a few lines over the last eight seasons to give some ideas about how this stuff would work. John's dragon riding scene in episode eight or season eight, episode one would have been a perfect time for Danny to discuss with him how she does it. I guess mm-hmm. it's possible the writers don't know and hope that no one would ask these questions and instead bask in the spectacle. I think you are right, Jamie, unfortunately. Yeah, there's one line, I think, in the series that says, oh, some maesters, whatever, think that maybe dragons are super intelligent. Right. Or more intelligent than people. It would have been, you're right. It would have been like after, like before or after John's first dragon ride would have been, instead of them just making moon faces each other in front of waterfalls, he'd be like, it's almost like our minds were linked or, so, you know, something, something. They could have done something. But I don't yeah, think just they're watch, curious. Watch Pacific Rim and then write some dialogue right. and you'll, you'll be good. Right. You have to, you have to mental, you have to get in the <laughs> flow or the drift. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You've got to do mountains of blow. The, the drift here stands for dragon rift. And drift in and out of consciousness to write the scripts for Game of Thrones. Um, it, it's, it's a damn shame. I wish the Double Ds were more curious about these things. I don't know if there's going to be an email about this, but one of the more disappointing things for me, I think, in regards to Arya, is that she never used that face swapping technique in the climax of the series. target bigger than Walder Frey. Yeah, it did not feel like that was the moment she had been building to. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it, it felt like she should have at least tried to use this face on either Cersei or Danny or some somebody, some yeah. bad guy here. Yeah, no, it did that felt felt a little bit. And, but and I also, guess like several of these climaxes came earlier than expected. I guess like right. Brand, this idea that you know you won't walk but you'll fly, mm-hmm. came seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Back in what season five? When did yeah. he become the Three Eyed Raven? Uh, well, I mean, he started. He, he got there in season five, right? And then he, the Hodoring, the hold the door happened in season six. So he had like a season was it? train, okay. and yeah, yeah. So I, I felt like that was the greater fulfillment of this prophecy. Well, and the only fulfillment. I thought there'd be something more to him. I thought there'd be right. something more to Arya's training. I think that's a key frustration is that the show itself didn't know that the like you know double. D, we we talked to Kim Renfro and she said you know there's an interview where the double D said we're looking at all the pieces on the table we're picking stuff up and see it works together. But I feel like the show never acknowledged the fact that like when they're planning the conquest of King's Landing, it'd be like 
if Danny forgot that she had dragons, mm-hmm. like they just pretend like we have an omniscient spy mm-hmm. and the world's greatest assassin. You know, like in season yeah. one, and an faceless men were used as or as an example of things we could do at great expense against this upstart Danny. You know, but now when we've got one that will do it for a freebie, it's like, ah, that, that. and when we're we're actively discussing like ways to avoid civilian Bloodshed, deaths, yes. an assassin is the number one thing you would come up with. Yeah. Like, and can I, we get this job done with one person sneaking in? Yeah. Oh, do we have anybody like that? Yeah. And again, I think an in, in a internally consistent show would at least tell us why that's not being done and maybe there's a good yeah. reason and i think if they have a even better cooler way to deal with cersei and everybody then nobody says anything mm-hmm. but they didn't and now you know these are glaring kind of like what the fuck ever happened with these plots yeah jamie m did you guys notice the interesting contradiction of jorah dying to protect slash save danny while it was his family's ancestral sword that ended her life i did not notice that that would have been kind of cool but John killed her with his dagger, which is essentially like a steak knife. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I'm not going to give partial credit to the double D's for for being thematically aware <laughs> of the intricacies of these of the, of the chain of custody of who owned what Targaryen blade. Uh, Trey B, I love the tension of the scene between Drogon and John. John seemed prepared and willing to accept whatever judgment Drogon had for him when the dragon realized what had happened. I was delighted to see Drogon did kill Danny's murderer, but it wasn't Jon Snow. It was the Iron Throne itself. <laughs> Danny's lust for power twisted her mind towards one goal and one goal only at the expense of anyone in her way. Her desire to sit the Iron Throne is what really killed Daenerys to Targaryen, and I thought it was beautifully poetic that in some instinctual level, Drogon seemed to realize this and in his rage over the death of his mother, melt the throne into a glowing heap of metal. Man, I, I so want to agree with you on this yes but i don't think it's danny's love for the iron throne that did it right i think it is danny's inability to control her anger that yeah. killed her it's like a genetic thing she, she had, had the throne she had the targaryen brain worms and yeah she had no won for it she had won the throne the throne was hers king's landing was surrendering she did not have to do what she did and what she did got her killed not you know taking the throne because she had it already right and writes in I'm reaching out to get some help for my hashtag fan bankruptcy and to bring up something I have not yet heard discussed. For six seasons, the Double Ds told us the story of Daenerys Targaryen, a survivor who defied expectations and used her wits and compassion to inspire people, long before her dragons were full-grown nuclear weapons. This is a girl who somehow managed to create a real love match out of a forced marriage to the head of a tribe of marauding rapists, led her starving people out of the desert, freed thousands of slaves. Though she made some missteps in her earlier years, she pursued betterment through learning and seeking the advice of her trusted counsel. She, like John, seemed to be driven by a higher purpose. And she, like John, risked her life many times in service of that higher purpose. I don't recognize the version of Danny that showed up for this season. The one whose unnecessary ruthlessness towards the hated Tarleys signified some slippery slope towards violent madness. We needed writers to justify this change in Danny, and they didn't bother, which leads me to the conclusion that they, perhaps unintentionally, relied on sexist tropes to fill in the gaps. If we are to believe that all women go mad with power and hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, then the writers don't have to work as hard to get us there. Hmm. I mean, I, we talked about this a bit in the spoiler podcast, and I find it very, like, I think that maybe this isn't a fair criticism but I don't know how much I want to defend it because it's clearly a reading that one can have. Yeah, I think it's an understandable 
way to to come away from Danny's story. But right. I think as a Sansa sort of stands as a counterpoint. Yes. To this whole thing, she has very much power, and she has not wielded it like a mad woman. But I mean, like, I do, would Dan, would Dan and Dan, Dave think that if you put Sansa on a dragon at the end of her Ramsey arc, would she have burnt? Yeah, I mean, it's a fair question dra- because like, you know of what, what I mean? they they say with John, right? Like, oh, Tyrion says right. you've been on that. Do you felt the power right. of that? Would you have done the same? Right. They're inviting those questions, certainly. And as far as about you know narrative shortcut, like I don't know if it's a narrative shortcut, just that like you're right, it is a trope in in society, mm-hmm. and they can be like, yo, hell hath no, f-. like you don't even have to write the next part of that line. Like Shakespeare did it. Like you've 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 got it, and people get it. Ah, ah, John. John didn't love her anymore, and she's pissed, and she lost some friends, and she had some tough times, and she's, and 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 I, there's a little bit of that because I know there's that, that one pacifist gentleman that wrote us in on the spoiler edition and said, you know, really, Danny's been doing the same thing. It's just that she, her targets happen to be terrible people, and I'm like, okay, but that's a definite distinction with a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason that we punish criminals and don't punish innocent people is because there's a difference between people that do evil things and people that try not to. And we also and judge intent is a big part of how much you get punished in the eyes of the law. Yeah. And you have murder and you have manslaughter, manslaughter and you have other forms, I think, but right. Right. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying yeah, I understand to speak the impulse. for the people Absolutely. that I'm trying to speak for the people that, that love the show and want to defend it. Um, but it's, as you can tell, it's kind of hard for me to do that. So, uh, I think you are not far off and in your analysis, uh, Kevin G, one of the things sticking in my craw is Tyrion exclaiming Bran as the first of his name. Am I wrong? Or is this simply not true? Is it because he's the first King named Bran or is it just further proof that the double D's don't understand or care about the story they're developing? I mean, this this categorization, like every other human categorization, just exists because some human thought adding the first would be a good distinction on something. So is this like the first of this particular new post-Varathian period regime? Was has, has there never been a brand that sat on the Iron Throne before? There is no more Iron Throne. So, like, I mean, I don't think this is evidence that the Double D is checked out. There's lots more on the screen if you care to look, <laughs> but this, I, I, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, Scotland, K. Okay, maybe you guys accept Grey Worm buys the idea that it isn't for him to decide whether John lives or dies. Let's just say he accepts that these Westerosi lords and ladies should be the ones to pick the next king. We'll get to the vote itself. Am I really supposed to believe that these lords with their own motivations, concerns, and histories all just fall in line because Tyrion made a half-assed speech about stories? We didn't talk about the meta the self-serving meta narrative of that level. Like it's just, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's writers to save the world, man. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get to Sansa who in a moment I actually liked announces that the North will stay independent, which is based on the history of the North centuries of independence and character development, showing us that Sansa did not want to kneel. Tell me how directly after Sansa says that Yara doesn't mm-hmm. immediately go, Oh, I didn't know that was an option. Yeah, I'll do that too. Followed by whatever no name Martel from Dorne mm-hmm. uh also pipes up and asserts their independence. Why did they go along with the Six Kingdoms nonsense? I I really don't have an explanation for it. No, because there's not a good one. I don't under like I surely when the double D's were breaking that, that was something that somebody said in the room and the decision was made, no one's going to care. 
or no one or is no us. one in this room cares. No one in this room cares. <laughs> We're going off to you know. And if you checks. care, please leave the room. Yes, yes, yeah. If you have any reason why this union shouldn't happen, <laughs> shut the fuck up and sit down. Yeah. Uh, Nixie, I hated the whole decision the show made t- uh, to make Brand the king. For one, Tyrion talked to John about how Varys is right, and talked to John about how his decisions would have been much better than Danny. He told John his choices were the, the only thing that mattered, implying that he is the rightful king and the, the the king the realm needed. He then doesn't even suggest John as a potential candidate for the king. Mm. I mean, if you buy the in-universe explanation, the Unsullied, who are probably yeah. on their own as a powerful of fighting forces, any individual that's left, like they're probably equally as strong as the Dothraki and equally as strong as the Northern Army, and so they're not nothing, and they're inside the capital. If jo- making John King would just have them instantly go into berserker rage mode, mm-hmm. it pr- might be a very short reign. So, yeah. I I don't. Like I said, I, I don't know where the line between nitpicking is and valid criticisms are. I'm trying to let everybody find their own. This is a little over the line for me. Uh, Nix continues, secondly, Bran turned down being Lord of Winterfell because he wasn't Bran Stark anymore and he was a three-eyed raven. For two seasons now, we've seen that Bran isn't interested in meddling with the world of men. Now he conveniently agrees to become king of the Seven Kingdoms. Yep. Third, they seem to totally change Bran's personality. He actually has a sem- some tone in his voice and almost smiles leaving the small council meeting. Is all put on. Well, I mean, again, if they had more time, like, okay. Rathacon, they killed Spock. And they immediately re- realized what a bad decision that was. Brought him back and searched for Spock. Mm-hmm. You don't make search for Spock at the end of search for Spock, Spock, king of the Federation. You don't make him president of the United Federation of fucking planets because he's a dumb dumb. He's not fully put together. He's been through a traumatic experience and the Spock that we knew and loved that maybe we actually would stump for as as president of the United Federation of Planets is now Spock who doesn't even remember who his best friends are. You don't even make Spock at the end of Save the Whales uh, president of the Federation. You make Spock at the end of maybe Undiscovered Country, president of the Federation, because he's Spock again. And and more, he's he's not only the old Spock we knew and loved, but he's a transformed Spock. He has all those experiences he got from the other side mm. and, 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 and going through the pre- – and they could have told that story with Bran, and they just fucking didn't. They made end of Search for Spock Bran king of Westeros when he's still fucked up and weird and can't relate to people. Yeah, you could almost have brought it around – to the idea of the the Starks being a pack, right, and and kind of that being the force pulling him to, more toward his humanity, right. Uh, if you had a long enough run for the series, yeah, you could connect those dots. Yeah, but I don't like that. Would they they would have had to do a lot of things different. They would have oh, yeah. to humanize Brand. They would have had to give him some real character moments these last few seasons, rather than sitting and warging in a fucking chair for a whole hour for no effect. Yeah, I, I want to go back and hear him every time he thanks somebody like Theon uh, say, thank you, you just made me king. Right. Uh, oh, that would be sick. <laughs> yeah, or like, thank you, that's what, what do you think I came down here? Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, if every time he said, like, the, the mirror when he's acting weird, it's like, this is going to put me on the Iron Throne, just wait, <laughs> right. just wait. Like, it's like, what the fuck? I don't know. Uh, lastly, they completely you're threw right away- where you needed to be to make me king. <laughs> <laughs> you were my you were my stepping stone. I used your face as a stepping stone to get on the iron puddle. Nixie uh, continues. Lastly, and I completely agree with this criticism. They threw away John being a Targaryen. 
Why did Bran make it such a point for Sam to tell John he's the rightful king if nothing ever was to come from it? It seems they only used it to help push Danny over the edge. Why send John to the Night's Watch to satisfy the... Ins- okay, we've, we've talked about that. Um, I It does feel like John being a Targaryen just was a piece in Bran's puzzle to put himself on the Iron Throne. And I can't tell you how profoundly unsatisfying the prince that was promised, Azora High. <laughs> Uh, the R plus L equals J theory. I can't tell you how big of a wet fart this is in my mind. But I think so much of that comes down to the execution of the Danny plotline. Because I, yes. think, I think if they had really nailed that, then it becomes much more important. Yes. Because that could be what pushes her over the edge. And I get the sense that that's what they were going for. They just uh-huh. didn't really convey and I just like it man, exactly right. Clearly, the expense in the last two seasons are in essentially four episodes. I don't understand why they couldn't film another two or three hours to make these connective things work. Mm-hmm. Because it just makes the fifty million dollars, the two hundred million dollars you spent across four episodes or whatever it ended up being, money not well spent. Yeah. Like you were, and pinning. all those extra scenes I want are like dialogue-driven scenes, yes. character moments, second unit shit. Like you have yeah. to, but but it would require the double D's to work a little harder in the off season. Mm-hmm. And like man, man, it just really seems like they were super lazy in a writer's room and expecting everybody else to make up for it. And they tried to do it; they really <laughs> did. Yeah. Um. All right, let's move on to Graham H. At first, I thought Braun being on the small council was weird, but now I thought more about it. Littlefinger more or less started out in a similar way. The son of some small house in some insignificant peninsula overshadowed by the mountains of the Vale. He was and a, look how he turned out. He was great. Yeah. He was a cutthroat <laughs> at heart, always manipulating people in situations until he t- climbed the ladder of chaos and made his way up to being master of Quinn and King's Landing. He has no right or claim. He just happened to be in the right place at the right moment. The same as Braun. Had Brana offered his room to some rich lord who happened to stroll into the inn at the crossroads the same time he did, he wouldn't have ended up living in the biggest castle in Westeros with the control of all the kingdom's gold in his pocket. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe we should have made Bran the, or, uh, Bron the king. Mm-hmm. He's close to sounding like Bran, and he's got, <laughs> like, the way you describe it, Graham, hard to argue that he doesn't have the best story in all of Westeros. Because it's a pretty Bran, good story. Bran was the Lord Paramount of one of the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah, he started off with the Silver He was in, in, in line for that anyway. Mm-hmm. So, like, come on. Bran, uh, Bran, on the other hand, I mean, <laughs> look at this. Look at this climb he's made. Uh-huh. Uh, Jessica G. While I'm happy for Brienne to have earned the position of Kingsguard commander, the scene of her writing Jamie's deeds into the book would have been so much more emotional had the writers not completely destroyed Jamie's character arc and his relationship with Brienne. Can you imagine how much we'd be crying in that moment if Brienne was writing about the man who up until he loved her, uh, up until the end loved her and died once again serving the people or greater good? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. I can't imagine it, and it's pretty awesome. You're the opposite of wrong. You're right. Mm-hmm. Not just technically right. You're, 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 you're factually and hard to argue <laughs> with right. Morally and ethically right. Uh I did appreciate the creepiness and surreal feeling of King's Landing and the Red Keep after the battle. As Tyrion wandered through, I wondered if he would even try to rebuild or if after all that devastation and death, it would become an abandoned ghost town. Game of Thrones is set in a medieval-like time, and people back then were generally very superstitious. I mean, yeah, King's Landing wasn't even a thing until Aegon. So, like, it felt like an artificial nexus of economy and it was a port town so it's got that going for it but it literally was built as like a dedicated capital i could see a lot of people like you know what 
let's bury King's Landing and the dragons in the dragon pit and move on to something else. But where do you go? I mean, the the intense intra-kingdom competition for who would host the capital would be just crazy. Make a Dragonstone. Fuck no, it. I, I think it would have been much better if they had Danny just burn the whole fucking thing to the ground. Like, the keep, everything. And it, it almost turns out, like, her wanting the thing so badly caused her to be unable to get it yeah. in the end. And it's like, I don't know. There's a million ways you could have done this better, but mostly it just comes down to execution. Uh, Jessica continues, assuming Sansa will continue the old school route of the North and issue heirs through procreation. Who do you think she chooses as a husband? Honestly, I got a Queen Elizabeth the first vibe there at the end, so maybe she'll rule by herself and choose an heir. It does feel okay. like she has no need for men. Yeah, I... I there's no hint of that in her story toward the end. Right. I mean, the closest we ever get is, like, the the mention of Sansa and Tyrion still right. being and her sort of, s- of a thing. Yeah, her but that's sly, not kind of, you were the best of them, but also implying that I'm not. Yeah. This isn't a race I'm looking for a winner in. I, and I'm not saying that it's in that, like, it'd be perfectly valid to have her find happiness with another dude. And I was and, rooting for her and Tyrion for sure. a very long time. Or, or someone of her choosing. It's just, uh-huh. I think that the show for, you know, better or worse and mostly worse, uh, they are, they're telling the story of this, that she's like, I, yeah, no, uh-uh. I was a dumb girl who th- believed in good virtuous knights and I met the worst of human scum and villainy and I just want to protect me and mine from that ever happening to any of us again. Well, I think they've rounded the corners on her story in maybe the most successful uh, way yeah. uh, of any other character. Like Hard to believe Lady Lemon Cakes is one uh-huh. of the better, most fully realized uh, characters on the show at the end of things. Yeah. Um, John G., uh, was the Citadel totally cool with Sam being made Grand Maester? Old Town was assen- essentially untouched by the war. Every <laughs> single Maester of the Citadel is still alive. Most that are serving in a noble house are also still alive. The Maesters go back thousands of years. They predate the Andal invasion. They survived, kept their traditions intact. They survived Aegon Targaryen and the establishment of the Targaryen dynasty, positioning their traditions within the new system. Uh, they are rumored to have poisoned the Targaryen dragons and crushed the Order of Pyromancers as they despise magic, yet completely untouched by this war. They, with a spine advisor in every house, houses that are now ruled by ump-jump peasants and cutthroats, they were cool with Sam being the Grand Maester, the top job, the Pope of the Maesters? Sam, the guy who only a couple months ago into his training and who had a family and children against the rules and who stole books from the Citadel and who's the sole heir to the noble house, they were like... What, him? Yeah, let's make him Grand Maester. Everyone is cool with that because why? Because we know and like him? Okay, Double Ds, guys who are racing to the finish line like their life depended on it. Guys who turned down three extra episodes this season and four extra episodes last. Sure, whatever. Hashtag fan bankruptcy. Well, definitely definitely not headcanon here. Uh, There's a lot on screen if you look at it telling us how this happened. A lot of compromises were made. Sam had this book... Mm-hmm. that they really wanted back. And his his only demands, well he had two demands. A uh he wanted he wanted his own book written. Mm-hmm. And B he wanted but, to be grand maester. And C it couldn't contain any mention of Tyrion. Right. Cuz <laughs> yeah. he really wanted to shine and he shine really, him on. Uh-huh. So yeah, they they compromised and they got their book back. Uh-huh. Sam got his book and his position and yeah. everybody's happy. Indeed. Uh, Philip Z, contrary to the motto of the Washington Post, democracy doesn't die in darkness. Sometimes it dies in fits of laughter. 
We may have not seen a parliamentary democracy in Westeros yet, but we've at least ended hereditary rule, which creates a check on whoever serves as the king. If you think about it in historical terms, we didn't get a constitution, but something more like a Magna Carta, which was an important step that led to a democratic system we see today. After 300 years of Targaryen dynasty and a country devastated by war, this was actually an amazing achievement. Um, yeah, I feel like I, as someone who spent a lot of time thinking about that, I wish they had told that story a little bit more because the whole reason, you know, my understanding of how the Magna Carta went through is that you had a weakened monarchy, uh, that was trying to shore up its weaknesses by taxing the fuck out of the powerful lords and the lords finally got tired of it and said no more. And here's a story where you could tell like the, why the monarchy had been weakened so much and, you know how the war, how, how expensive taxes it get because they're trying to pay for the war and feed everybody, and all these really cool like things they could have played with real polit- political fallout of losing like the peasant class and who's going to tend the fields and who's going to be your craftsmen and tradesmen and what does it look like to have all these people that are unskilled in diplomacy and statecraft running houses? It's just a jokes, just a couple of small chamber jokes, and and that's it. Has anybody? Try to address the idea of how long a three-eyed raven absent the Night King might live. Yeah, and I, that that was definitely definitely a piece of feedback. I think I kicked it to the spoiler edition, but that's a mm, great question okay. because the old uh, the old three-eyed raven had an unnaturally long lifespan. Yeah, and also, I, and I don't know absent the Night King if he would have died at all, or what if the Iron Throne is now the Weirwood Throne? Like they they <laughs> they, they plan a Weirwood where they want Bran to sit. You plug him in there, and then he just mm-hmm. grows into the tree. The tree grows into him, and you've got an immortal immortal kind of god king. Someone wrote in. I don't know. I feel if I like used eventually he he would be whittled into another throne. <laughs> like they'd go, we just got this fucking tree sitting here, right? Let's whittle a throne out of it, and yeah. Bran would be like chiseled away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there's someone wrote in. I'm not sure if I used his email or not, but it was an interesting thought that essentially Bran has become like the AI overlords of a lot of science fiction fantasy sto- stories, and those sometimes are utopian. sure like Minority Report kind of thing. Right? A lot of times dystopian, and that was another cool thing that they if they want to do bittersweet that like oh we think it's good, but like here's I, but I don't know they just didn't have enough time. They didn't mm-hmm. want to spend any more time than they absolutely had to. Yeah. Uh, Sarah A. Spirits are low in my office this Monday morning. Everyone is so bummed about the finale of Game of Thrones. The finale left us without positive or fulfilling human connections. We get no payoff from any kind of relationship among any of the characters. I guess some old friends or acquaintances are on the small council together, but they feel strained and suspicious around each other. Specifically, we got no Jamie and Brienne, no Sansa and Tyrion, no Arya and Gendry, no Danny and Jon, no Brienne or Tormund even. It seems as though the finale scattered everyone to the wind, not allowing them to take the comfort in one another. The Stark kids are all spread out, and John and Arya are probably gone forever. Armies of dispersed friends are taking off. You all have just suffered the greatest agonies of your lives. Don't you just want to hang out? <laughs> it is weird. I mean, I guess they had plot motivations for John. He had to fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was not... That, that that last scene with the Stark kids was a little bit more stilted than I was expecting. Yeah, and this is why I'm torn, you know, and not quite sure how I feel about this episode and this ending still, because I think there are moments that would qualify, in my mind, as characters getting the things they've always wanted. Yeah. And those sweet moments. But also, the way we got there is so convoluted, and it wasn't quite 
told in a coherent way and it just leaves me with a sort of empty feeling at the end where I should be overjoyed for some of these characters getting what they want. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to like the big moments weren't earned and a lot of these big moments things. I don't think anybody were campaigning against or campaigning for. It's just, we needed to be won over. We needed to have the, you know, there's a certain amount of runway it takes for an airplane to take off. There's a certain amount of narrative runway you need for a character arc to take off. And they just didn't have it. They just Mm -hmm. didn't have it. Uh, Ryan S., you guys have often referred to the infamous list of bullet points that Gurm handed over to the Double Ds. I'm curious to hear your guesses as to which of the plot points we've seen post-books that were included on those lists and which plot points were devised by the show creators. That's going to... I mean, not, Danny, for sure. But For sure. Yeah. And, and and honestly, we're uh, me and Anthony, uh, my co-writer on Gods of Thrones, is going to do a special segment where we just look at that on the spoiler edition. Probably have Jim's point of view on there as well. So So hang tight. Uh, tune into the spoiler edition if you want to do deep dives into that. Um, Matthew B. We may never know exactly what was in Gurm's bullets, but from what I can tell, I think the main problem this season was that Double Ds were no longer certain exactly what kind of story they were wanting to tell along the way. In the beginning, it seemed like the main storyline was a bunch of powerful people with various claims playing the Game of Thrones to see who would end up on top. All the while, an existential threat in the form of the White Walkers loomed that would make the game seem inconsequential. Then... This season, the narrative became that the White Walkers were actually just a distraction. The central point of the show was indeed the Game of Thrones. Then, in the very end of the last minute, after nine years of machinations, scheming, war, and establishing claims to the throne, the winner of the Game of Thrones was decided in a cordial five-minute meeting run by a prisoner who should have had no authority to run the meeting in the first place and was awarded to the mysterious person who probably did the least to deserve it. I think if you told people three years ago who simply would end up on the Iron Throne, who would end up alive, who would end up dead, most people would say, like, that sounds good to me. I'll be happy to see the likes of Tyrion, Jon, Sansa, and Arya survive. Let's see how they get there. It's not necessarily, again, the conclusions themselves on paper that are objectionable. It's a story they told in order to get there that was Mm -hmm. so scatterbrained and unsatisfying. Uh, Thanks for the good times, deep insights, and helping me learn the names of all the damn characters in the show. (laughs) Matt, that's very sweet of you, but I very much doubt we did anything for that last part. <laughs> if anything, you're probably pronouncing a couple names wrong. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, you're a voice added to the chorus. Um, so moving on to some praise. Uh, Catherine S. wants to echo what we were talking about. I want to talk about a person who has never said a foot wrong in the eight seasons of Game of Thrones, Ramin Jawadi. Mm. I think his music is what uh, ultimately redeemed this final season for me and is the reason I was able to swallow the many bitter pills and blithely accept fan bankruptcy uh, because orchestra nerds will always forgive a good score. He scored this entire final season perfectly from callback themes such as the reigns of Castamere, orchestrating them to fit the scenes they were used, to developing really haunting, suspenseful music for the Night's King, slow-mo walk to Bran and the Weirwood Tree, and the final reorchestration of the main theme to close out the show. Jawadi's always been a consistent source of joy for me since the beginning. Yeah, I mean, he's done a consistently excellent job providing this show with a motion picture type score um, and has continued to reinvent himself. And he does, he's honestly one of the better things on Westworld, too. So, Yeah, I think he's honestly shaping up to be a sort of next-gen John Williams yeah. um, in the importance of the, the work that he's doing. And, yeah. And just the level of skill that he brings to it. 
Love to see how he continues to evel- uh, develop and evolve his game. Yeah. Uh, Alexander has the final thought for this, this uh, particular mailbag. I think the description of the ending as bittersweet has been hanging over our heads for several seasons now. But what I didn't expect was to see nearly all remaining characters individually earning their bittersweet ending in their own right. I wouldn't see that any of the key surviving players has a wholly happy ending. The halfway happy ending feels strongly in keeping with the fundamental realism that has managed to ground the series and even its most fantastical moments. One that reflects the random and volatile forces of life and history. I think the emphasis on randomness is key, reinforced by such thorough lines as Littlefinger's ring of chaos and the world flipping a coin with each Targaryen. The ending feels appropriately nebulous. The Iron Throne has been destroyed, but you still have a king ruling in the same seat of power, utilizing the same structures of power, even the same damn council seats as before. His first act could be seen as one of nepotism, ceding the north to Sansa, but not independence for any of the other kingdoms, despite the point being to shake loose the kingdom from the chains of general familial power. Bran is essentially a stand-in sort of uh, a, a stand-in for a sort of benevolent AI ruler. There we go. Uh, that we see initiating so many dystopian futures in science fiction. Stories can hin- can end happily, but in life itself, the only true end is death, which is frequently random and always sad. It's the nature of things writ large. Happy endings are an artifice of fiction. In life, uh, endings are an illusion, a temporary image of what is until it slips away, until the unknowable what will be. Uh, I think this is a fair defense of the finale of the show. It's just... There's always a line between realism and fulfillment and satisfaction. And it's just like if you play the right minor chords, you can make people feel unhappy or uneasy or afraid. And if you play the right major chord, 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 chords, you can make them feel upbeat and happy. But like if you're just pushing minor chords all the time, it, you get a mess, a confusing mess. And I feel like. And in so many ways, they were just playing major and minor chords for these characters and wanting that to be set the tone, but it, it never quite came together for me. Yeah, I think um, there's a tenuous relationship between subversion and satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, and that is a dangerous game to play. It's as dangerous as the Game of Thrones. You either win or you die. And I don't think that this show played it successfully enough to win. Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, the other thing is, like, real life, you could defend an episode of Game of Thrones. You could you defend an episode of television that consists of a guy getting up, brushing his teeth, going to work, having an unremarkable day, coming home, eating a TV dinner. and Ultra-realistic for me. And the, Ultra-realistic. Yeah, and then fuck around on the internet for a couple hours and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Now, you could even make that be very good or say something about the human condition. But that's not necessarily just because... The defense is that's a realistic story doesn't mean it's a good one. Yeah, because you're right. These things are happy endings are artificial. Um, you know, any kind of plot contrivance is just that. Uh, but good stories make you feel all of the emotional weight and you don't feel any of the writer's maneuverings to get you there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a magician successfully uh, doing a sleight of hand versus somebody who's so amateur that you can see them you know, keeping the thumb on the top deck of the card or whatever. It's or like the pig it's, runs out from the podium when or, they're done with the trick. Right, 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 right. It's, it's like it either works or it doesn't. And a lot of, and it's, uh, you know, there's also like, I feel like there's some instances like it's like in stage magic that the people in front get a good show and the people in the wings can kind of see things they're not supposed to. And 
maybe for my viewpoint of an obsessive Game of Thrones fan, I was the ones in the wings and I saw them pulling some shit and people in the front rows that maybe weren't as invested, but that th- th- didn't. Or maybe they were more willing to be pleased. Or I- I'm trying not to, I don't want to make this into like, oh, well, if you enjoyed it, you're an idiot, because I don't think that's true. No. Um, I honestly, I'm just jealous. I wish I enjoyed it as much as you guys. Um, but I didn't. And I, it, it'll be interesting to see how I feel about this and next week or a year from now. Like, I'm sure that this is going to be things that are going to come up in our future coverage of the the prequels. Like, well, I mean, this is the biggest show of all time. The way it ends is historical. And it's going to be this is going to be a touchstone you know, like when 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 the next big series is wrapping up, it's going to be is this going to be a Game of Thrones? Is this going to be a Breaking Bad? Is this going to be a Walking Dead? Like this is this is how we're going to talk about this show. Um, yeah, I almost feel like this is the new Lost. Yeah, the, the, the people will speak about this show in the same tones that they did or the same terms right. that they did Lost. And I don't want to say, you know, Lost was terrible or Lost was great. I actually haven't even seen the final few episodes of that series. But Lost, but I know how people talk about it. Yeah, it's not 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Right, right. So, uh, And I think Game of Thrones is kind of hitting that exact tone. Where you're going to have people say, oh, the riot. And I saw there's a really cool Twitter thread where someone's been very critical about the show, posted their top 25 moments the fact that you can, even as a critic of the show, come up with 25 just amazing jaw-dropping moments, um, mm-hmm. you know, is... And that's why this show... I that's, come up with 25 in the first season. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this show's just, amazing. There's a reason the show has such a massive, rabid fan base, and so many people, like, uh, uh, were into the extended conversations, because it was a really good show, and it did things mm-hmm. that people haven't really seen before, Um and I, but I also utterly reject the idea that that meant that it was impossible to make an appreciable number of the fans happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where people start laying blame and 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 how things kind of work out. And it'll be interesting to see like if there what what kind of tell alls come out, um, what kind of interviews get granted. I I, I don't know, but. Uh, we will be talking about the way this show ended for a long time, mm-hmm. a very long time. Uh, and we will continue talking about it this Friday on the spoiler edition. And next week during our at least one wrap up podcast, um, we will be back for that. Send in your feedback. It's not too late for both of those things at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. And we will be here for early, or early Friday morning to, for the spoiler edition. And until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>